electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market moving insight and analysis. Join Jim Cramer, David Faber, and me, Carl Quintanilla, on the opening bell hour of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good Friday morning, everybody. Welcome to a uh, final show of the week for Squawk on the Street. I'm David Faber with Sarah Eisen and Mike Santoli. We are live from Post 9 at the New York Stock Exchange. Jim and Carl both have the morning off. Let's give you a look at futures, of course. As I said, as we get to the final trading day, 30 minutes from now is when we begin, and it looks like we're going to have a lower open. Our roadmap this morning does start as it has all week with the banks. First Republic getting that $30 billion deposit lifeline. SVB Financial files for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Plus, Treasury helping organize the First Republic deal in a meeting with Jamie Dimon, CEO, uh, JP Morgan CEO, Jamie Dimon. We're going to discuss with the Deputy Treasury Secretary, Wally Adiemo. Also, take a look at shares of FedEx surging ahead of the open. The company hiking its 2023 earnings forecast boosted by ongoing cost-cutting efforts. All right, we're going to start with, uh, well, the biggest U.S. banks moving to rescue First Republic, of course. The story we brought you yesterday, it's $30 billion in deposits, a somewhat unusual plan in the sense of, of course, it's not about uh, providing more capital to the bank, uh, which it may well need. Uh, It's not about buying the bank uh, or its bonds or anything else. It's simply about putting more money in in order to essentially create more confidence. And of course, many saying, Sarah, this is simply deposits that in fact fled from the likes of SVB (laughs) or First Republic or some other regional banks, went to the biggest banks and now are finding their way back. But a significant sort of vote of confidence from those banks and a a nice uh, reflection at least of the willingness to cooperate to try to put First Republic on firmer ground. We're gonna get to the research in a minute because a lot of it is still questioning whether in fact That ground is firm enough for uh, this important uh, bank that obviously does do so much in the mortgage market for high net worth individuals and the like. A kumbaya moment for the banking industry that inspired some confidence for the entire market yesterday, but that doesn't have appeared to last. And, And we're getting into this familiar pattern where it's another day and another sort of innovative way to... I don't even want to use bailout because that's strong, right? Rescue, provide some sort of rescue or lifeline to the troubled bank du jour, First Republic, the day before it was Credit Suisse and the Swiss National well, Bank. Well, we're not done with Credit Suisse by a long shot. We're not we'll done talk with any of them. In a bit. No, we may not be done with any of them. I think the two, for very different reasons, that continue to be the focus are First Republic, stock of which now is looking like it's going to be down sharply yet again uh, after rebounding as much as 40% yesterday, having been down 30%. And then on our reports about this so-called rescue plan, Mike, yeah. the $30 billion ended up was up as much as 12 or 14%. But given the research this morning, I mean, you got Wedbush saying there's no residual value in either distressed M&A sale or through receivership. You have Atlantic Equities seeing the need for a $5 billion capital raise should they want to get back to the tier one capital ratio typically of 8%. Right. These guys borrowed $109 billion from the Fed discount window at one point last well, week. Exactly. Week. And, and so the deposits give a buffer. Uh, it, it, all it really enables... First Republic to do is to 
deliver the withdrawals that might still come. In other words, it doesn't necessarily, first of all, it's not a scalable response. If there are other institutions, right, you're not going to have a consortium of other banks come and one by one start to redeposit the money. And it doesn't speak to the equity value that might be left here. You have SVB filing for Chapter 11. So there was no transaction that forestalled that eventually. And I think that's an important point, actually, because um, nobody stepped up for the so-called franchise value of SVB. And now it is essentially going to be selling itself in pieces or however it can. But the fact that they did choose to file bankruptcy as opposed to finding someone to step in, even for a dollar a share or even taking after the marks were done is... uh, why? Is that it's because the, the government sign. didn't want the big banks to buy it and get bigger? No, it, it's because clearly after you take the marks, there wasn't a, enough value, value there. And so that's not a great sign yeah. in that you didn't see anyone, anyone step up. I'm hearing, you know, Signature Bank may end up being a different situation in terms of at least people looking at, at that. We kind of don't talk about that one as yeah, much. Right. It's a significant, obviously, uh, move by the FDIC to take that into receivership uh, on, on one Sunday. Uh, but uh, but on SVB, it's it's sort of an important point to note that nobody did step up. They are in bankruptcy now. And what that means for the likelihood of any other banks being willing to do so in a similar situation, should there be other failures, yeah. is unclear. I think the problem, Mike, is you're, you get notes like this. You mentioned the Webbush notes. The deposit infusion will not solve the longer-term woes. Maybe it'll help stabilize deposits and a bridge to a potential sale. But the bottom line is increasingly... These, these solves, these rescues from government, central banks, and, and fellow banks are looking like Band-Aid solutions. You know, when we came in on Monday, you might have thought that this would stop the bleeding, the fact that the FDIC and Treasury guaranteed all the uninsured depositors. Well, they didn't do it explicitly, But though. they didn't they do did it, it for all banks, right. and they didn't do it explicitly. Right. And so there are still questions about whether something's going to have to get done. I, I, it does make you wonder, you know, when we're in this period of turmoil and yeah. banking crisis, the weekends are very important, right? They we are. work all weekend. We try to figure out what's happening behind the scenes. Not, not sure what we're waiting for this weekend, though, because don't, don't. it's not like there's another domino that's waiting in the wings like First Republic was last week, although there is still a lot of nervousness. There's a great deal of nervousness. There are real questions, again, about... The ability of, of a bank like First Republic to come anywhere near the earnings power it once had is, is certainly in question, and, and whether it has to raise capital, given the hole in its balance sheet that we have talked about previously. Right. Um, this weekend, guys, uh, the one name that I think is actually in focus is not in this country. It's, it's, it's CS. It's Credit Suisse. Um, hard to get a lot of information, at least for me. Uh, You know, there was a decent flow coming and it sort of stopped, which may be indicative of something. But, you know, will the regulators take more control there, I think, becomes the real question. And will it be soon? Um, You had the Swiss National Bank obviously come in with a potential lifeline, so to speak, in terms of over $50 billion in liquidity. But, you know, I do know for a fact that uh, advisor uh, banks across Wall Street are trying to get the advisory business for whatever is going to happen there, because you can imagine there's going to be a lot of different things coming off of that, so a lot of potential advisory work. Right. But you're probably calling on the Swiss regulatory authorities as the potential yeah. uh, potential payer of those fees. We'll see where we end up there. Credit Suisse not going to fail. It will right. never be allowed to sure. fail, but will it be absorbed continues to be the key question, Mike. Yeah. Um, 
I think the big issue from a market-wide perspective is you can't prove with any level of confidence that there isn't going to be another name that pops up tomorrow. So until you get a stretch of time where it seems like deposit flight has slowed down and you're not having people reach for liquidity this way, you know, you're going to be a little bit twitchy. And I think the market is not going to be able to, to necessarily gain comfort in the sector. Uh, but there have been times this week when people, when the market is traded as if, look, it looks like we've walled this stuff off uh, and, and it doesn't seem to be spilling out. We have the discount window borrowing. We'll see really whether that was precautionary or desperate uh, based on the institution. We haven't even talked to Sarah about the fact that it was basically QE in a sense of $300 billion. The balance billion sheet dollars. expanded. The balance sheet went by up. That was more than half of how they, what they managed to tighten going into the year, yeah. and, and now they've got a Fed meeting next week where they're right. going to have to talk about yeah. some of these financial risks. It's a lot to talk about, and, and on all of this right now, we've got a key newsmaker for you. We're joined first on CNBC by Deputy Treasury Secretary Wally Adiemo. Secretary Adiemo, thank you for joining us this morning from Washington. Appreciate it. You know, just on this deal we were talking about that came together between Treasury and 11 big banks to get deposits to First Republic. Can you tell us a little bit about how that came together behind the scenes? So, Sarah, I want to be clear that while the secretary did talk to um, Jamie Dimon about the deal, it was the banks that came together on their own to demonstrate confidence, not just in First Republic, but in the entire banking system. Um, And them working as a consortium of the biggest banks in this country to demonstrate that not only regional banks, but community banks in this country are a safe place to put your deposits, we think was an an important step in addition to the actions the government took over the weekend to provide more liquidity for those banks and to resolve two banks in a way that made sure that all depositors are made whole. But we were just talking about it, Secretary Adiemo, you know, measures to try to shore up confidence and yet there are still questions. Are all depositors, uninsured depositors in the U.S. banking system protected right now? So, Sarah, let me tell you what we've seen. We've seen that over the course of the week, deposit flows have stabilized in regional and small banks, and in some cases have modestly reversed. And this was due in no small fact to the fact that the way that we resolved the two institutions that failed, using the systemic exception to demonstrate that we were going to protect not only insured depositors, but also uninsured depositors, and providing liquidity to banks in order to meet the demands of their customers. Ultimately, the president has made clear that our goal is to protect depositors, to make sure that they have the money they need to run their businesses and to make sure that their families are taken care of. But I guess the question becomes, what next? What, what if there's another bank? Look, we, we've seen a domino effect already. It hasn't been ring-fenced by SVB or Signature, as you guys were hoping. So is the presumption that if another bank runs into trouble, their depositors will also be made whole? So, Sarah, what I'm saying is that in the data that we've seen over the course of the week, we've seen deposits stabilize in small and medium-sized banks. And in some First cases, First Republic just had to have a $30 billion infusion. Reverse. It's, it's not stable. So, Sarah, you're right that the big banks in this country provided $30 billion to First Republic in order to put them in a position where it was clear that they had the money to meet any demands by their depositors. But it wasn't an infusion just in First Republic. What, the first, what these banks were doing was sending the show of confidence from these biggest institutions in the entire banking sector, um, which was important because it was important for people to see that your money wasn't only safe if you sent it to a big institution, but it was safe if you sent it into the system. So we welcomed that move, and we think that that, in addition to the moves that we've already taken, have put us in a position where you've seen stability in terms of outflows from some of these banks. 
Um, you know, some people, uh, Secretary, have talked to me about the bondholders, for example, in SVB uh, or Signature. Um, concern there about regional banks, community banks' ability in the future to actually sell bonds. In other words, I mean, you got to keep your, co uh, uh, you know, your, your cost of funds as low as you possibly can. If you crush the bondholders or continue to, you raise costs for these banks, and some wonder about their own viability in our financial system in the future because of that. How do you view these continued you know, dissolutions, so to speak, to the extent that if we continue to see the bondholders uh, taken out at uh, you know, pennies on the dollar? So as you know, our resolution process is very clear in this country in terms of the way that people are paid back as assets are sold. But I also want to be clear that the FDIC's goal is to sell those institutions. And they have all actually opened up a bidding process, both for Signature Bank and for SVB, in order to sell those assets. Our go the goal ultimately is to do what is the least cost for um, the American people. And we know that the least cost is to try and sell these institutions as quickly as possible. And that's what we're doing. You know, I, I wonder in this entire situation whether some believe more regulation would have helped identify the problems at, uh, at Silicon Valley Bank. Um, others say, well, what exactly was it? They didn't, weren't matching duration with, with their deposit space. They went long, but you know, they owned what were safe assets, treasury securities, GSEs. Do you feel that more regulation would have potentially prevented uh, SVB from making the decisions it did and therefore we wouldn't be in the spot we are now? My view is that we have to do a careful review of what happened at SVP and Signature Bank to better understand what the causes were of those banks' failures, and that we need to address it working closely with Congress. The President has called for them to look at additional regulatory solutions to try and make sure this doesn't happen again. I think that's important, but it's important that we do it after a careful review of what actually happened to these institutions so that we're in a position where we can make sure that this, in the future, we're better, we have a better financial system that continues to secure um, the future for the American people. Ultimately, what people do is they put their deposits in banks in order to do things like be able to afford to send their kids to school or to be able to run their small businesses. And our goal is to build a regulatory regime that continues to make that safe for people. I mean, you, you started out by saying, Secretary Adiamo, that the, the system is safe. And we heard that from Treasury Secretary Yellen yesterday in testimony. We've heard it. We heard it from her during the weekend. We also got word that banks tapped a record amount from the discount window, the Fed's discount window this week. How, how do you read that? Isn't that a sign that things are not stable and that there is a lot of stress in the system? So, Sarah, that's exactly what the um, discount window is for, for banks to be able to get liquidity in order to be able to use it to meet the demands of their customers. And it was seeing that, and over the course of the weekend, the secretary, myself, Chairman Powell, we all spoke to a number of CEOs, not only big banks, but small and medium-sized banks. And they sent a clear message to us that they knew that um, unless we dealt with the situation at, first at, um, at Silicon Valley Bank and also Signature Bank in a way that demonstrated confidence that you could see deposits, outflows out of regional and community banks all over this country. That's why the, federal, the FDIC board and the Federal Reserve Board recommended using this, the systemic exception for um, both Silicon Valley Bank and for Signature Bank in order to send a clear message. And while a number of banks coming into the weekend prepositioned the need to get more liquidity, what we found over the course of the week 
is that they they've had to use they've had to use less and less of it and now that we've seen a stabilization in terms of deposits in those institutions and what we expect to see over time is that they're going to need less liquidity from the discount window but ultimately this is why we have a discount window in order to make sure that these institutions have the ability to borrow from the fed against their safe assets in order to meet the demands of their customers and what we found over the course of the week is that those demands have come in less and less and deposits have outflows have stabilized and in some institutions even reversed. So are you surprised that we're still not seeing all these these worries calmed as a result of some of the the swift and, and determined action that you guys and and some of the other regulators have taken and, and how do you spend your weekend given that some of these worries are still very much out there front and center. So Sarah we're def we we still remain vigilant and we know that the market is taking time to price in the actions that have been taken by regulators but also by the biggest banks but ultimately what we've seen over the course of the week is that because the actions we took over the weekend we have seen deposit outflows stabilize within these institutions and then some of them reverse and it'll take time for markets to address um these to um catch up with the actions that have been taken by us and by these banks and what we've done now because the liquidity facility has given these institutions time to think through how they organize their businesses going forward. Wally Adiemo, thanks so much for the time and the perspective this morning. Really appreciate Thank it. Thank you so much. From the White House, Deputy Treasury Secretary. I don't know, are all uninsured depositors safe? I get like implicitly. They'd like you to believe that, but it's not clear and it still may not be enough to stem some people choosing to to move or not. And then to to the point he made Investors, Mike, are just trying yeah. to figure out what these banks are worth in a new scenario under right. which there may be also more regulation, which is going to be costly perhaps for them as well. Uh, Separate not to question mention, exactly. is the long-term earnings power. And right. a depositor need not fear the safety of a bank to say, I could just go in a government money market fund or short-term treasuries and be okay. A lot of money outside going into money market deposits. funds this yeah. week, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Not yeah. to mention short-term treasuries. Oh, yeah. Six months is still above about 4%. All right, we have uh, breaking news on industrial production. Let's get to Rick Santelli. Rick. Yes, David, industrial production for the month of February expected to be up two tenths, one percent, comes in unchanged. Goose egg. And what's interesting about this is last month was unchanged as well, but it was revised up three tenths, which means last month now becomes the highest level since July of last year, and we've dropped back down to zero. Uh, the rate of change here isn't a positive, and utilization backs that notion up. Expecting 78.4, we get 78.0, which has dubious honor of being the lowest level of utilization since September of 21. Now, don't touch that remote. Squawk on the street will return after a short break. Every day. Thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create, like Olu Sheyi, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.
FedEx is the biggest pre-market gainer. You can see it right there, 11%. Uh, that is on the S&P. After posting better than expected quarterly earnings, it did raise its full-year guidance as well. Cost cuts is the key here. Revenue came in below Wall Street consensus, due in part to what FedEx calls continued demand weakness. The company's CEO summed it up on yesterday's earnings call. A cost reduction actions supported margin expansion at both ground and freight but have not yet fully offset the impact of continued pressures at Express. We will continue to aggressively manage headcount, including attrition, to align our teams with the network changes underway. By the end of this fiscal year, we expect U.S. headcount to be down roughly 25,000 year over year. That is heartening investors, of course. Mike, the company has been under the microscope for what was considered a bloated cost structure for quite a long period of time. Talked about the number of activists who've been in there, or at least one in particular. There has been some change on the board, yeah. but this is a quarter where they started to show those cost cuts coming through. Yes, yeah, so bloated cost structure uh, kind of on a chronic basis. Also, just sort of serial shortfalls in the execution. So a lot of adverse surprises uh, every quarter. And I think that that is the story now. What the street is, is latching on to is, is they're upping their targets for cost cuts this year relative to what they laid out in September. There's a little more progress toward them, uh, how many of them might be permanent. And keep in mind that FedEx, even though it's a macro play, even though it's going to be sensitive to global trade flows and all the rest, when the world was coming back online in 2020, 2022, this was an awful stock. It got no benefit from it. UPS absolutely trounced it because of the execution and because of the exposure to air freight and, and China and things like that. So it's not necessarily the case that, well, they have their act together, but the macro looks really tough. That might be the case. Uh, but I think the street's making the bet that they have enough under their own control cost-wise to at least, um, you know, be on a better earnings path and justify the valuation where it sits right now, which whatever, 12, 13 times uh, earnings as the estimates get revised. It's a stock story and it's yeah. a profit story now because, you know, I always go through the FedEx call and the release to see what they say about the economy because they're such a bellwether. And not great. A lot of talk yeah. about demand weakness, a lot of talk about lower shipping volumes in express, in ground. They're being helped by cost cuts and higher shipping rates as well. But if you were looking for any sort of robust business and action in the global economy, you didn't get it in the FedEx report. Even China has been slow to come back online. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they're, and they're, you know, they're doing things like having a little more price discipline, not going for as much empty calorie type quantity of volume. So, yeah, I think that those things can, uh, as I said, take hold in a stock that was a big laggard, has new management, and is at 12 times forward earnings. All right. Regional banks, once again, of course, are the biggest laggards on the S&P. We're going to be keeping a close eye on all of them. First Republic, you see. All over the map, hasn't it, the last couple of days? Down 20%, it would appear, when we start uh, trading six minutes from now. Don't miss it, by the way, as well. Former FDIC Chair Sheila Baer is going to join us in the next hour. We're back right this. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for business. Tractor Supply trusts 5G solutions from T-Mobile. Together, we're connecting over 2,200 stores with 5G business internet, empowering AI so team members can match shoppers with the products they need faster. This is enriching customer experience. This is Tractor Supply with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Will the deposits in every community bank in Oklahoma, regardless of their size, 
being fully insured now? A bank only gets that treatment if a majority of the FDIC board, a supermajority, a supermajority of the Fed board, and I, in consultation with the president, determine that the failure to protect uninsured depositors would create systemic risk and significant economic and financial consequences. So what is and your plan? Make that determination. Right. right. So, so what is your banks. plan to keep large depositors from moving their funds out of community banks into the big banks? Look, I mean, we're, that's certainly not something that we're encouraging. That is happening right now. That is happening because depositors are concerned about the bank failures that have happened and whether or not other banks could also um, no, it, it, fail. No, it's happening and because it's, you're fully insured no matter what the amount is. If you're in a big bank, you're not fully insured if you're in a community bank. Well, you're not fully insured. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen and Senator James Lankford of Oklahoma on Capitol Hill having an exchange about protecting uninsured depositors. It's something we've been talking about at this desk, of course, for the last week as well. Jim Cramer out today has been talking about the fact that they just need to come out explicitly and say all but deposits are insured. But as she said, she insured. can't do that. No, it's Congress. And we had Wally Adeyemo on earlier. You'd asked him the same thing. He wouldn't answer it. No, they can't do it. But it, it is one of the key questions. It's not the only question, by no. the way. There's also, you know, increased scrutiny and now attention to what's happening on these balance sheets and the mismatch on assets the, and liabilities. On, on the, the asset side, risks. remember, deposits are liabilities for the yep. bank. Yeah. The assets are the loans that they make or the securities they buy in part with money that's come in from depositors. And you're right. I mean, we haven't even really talked this week about commercial real estate, which right. could be carving a gaping hole on yeah. some of these balance sheets. That's a slower moving issue that's absolutely out there and it's got to basically force a reckoning. But I do think that on the asset side, we kind of know what the paper losses are in aggregate. You kind of know what would have to happen if they realize it. it's a big hole, but it's not surprising, right? It's the price of treasuries. It's the price of mortgage-backed securities. I think if there's one little comfort in this whole thing, it is that. It's that we knew that rates went up. We knew that losses existed. We're just finding out where they were and to what degree and whether the deposit basis can support them. Here's the opening bell. We'll take a look at our real-time exchange back at uh, our headquarters here at the big board. Women in ETFs. And over at the NASDAQ is YS Biopharma celebrating its listing. Look at that. Via SPAC. All right. Still happens sometimes. You know what's crazy, David, is I, I feel like we've been talking, and if you would have listened to the first half hour of this show, you might not realize that the NASDAQ is up 5% this week, and the NASDAQ 100 is up 6%. And right. by the way, the S&P 500 is up 2.5%, which right. is kind of a head-scratcher when you have several banks failing you and do, lifelines but, and infusion. Well, but Sarah, you've had rates go down That's a lot. Why. Well, here's and the in thing. a declining it's, rate environment, they seem the to want these stocks. It's not just rates going down. It's people grabbing for the companies that generate capital and will never need a bank. And they're under-owned and, or were under-owned coming into this year. The 10-year tre- Treasury yield today is exactly where it was January 9th. 
the Nasdaq 100 is up 12% since then. It ain't just the rate rate move point to point. Because it's the, what are we doing in an environment? It is the move from credit, point to point down over a week, Mike, that's obviously it's a little sent part people of to some of these higher he multiple stocks. He and I stocks. have been fighting no, about the listen, yield impact on stocks. Uh, well, he's very passionate about it. He just wants to say I'm wrong because Nas- yields are in control, Mike. The, the two years they're in control of the psychology of the market. The, absolutely. The credit situation is very touchy. Buying Microsoft, paying up. Microsoft and Google are up $300 billion in market cap this week, okay, before today. The entire regional bank sector of the S&P 500 is $200 billion and falling. Okay, so it's just a matter of mar- the market migrating to where you don't have to worry about the banking stuff. It's not just about longer-term discounted cash flow analysis. It's just about their relative safety in this moment. And uh, again, is Bitcoin in that basket too. Uh, Bitcoin is, is feeding off of the general sentiment around those it's things. It's lower yeah. yield. There are it, two things happened this week: massive repricing of what the Fed is going to do. Right? The, Fed, yes. the market thinks the Fed is going to raise 25 basis points and then be done and then cut yes, in the was, latter part of the year. The balance sheet went up after all this worry great. about QT and shrinking balance sheet. Balance sheet went up. It's no coincidence that Bitcoin and Ark Innovation Fund and all the Nasdaq stocks had a really great. But look day. at the two-year chart of ARC and tell me that there's anything interesting going on with ARC this week. It's just kind of coming off the mat a little bit. It's like, yeah, fine, we can put but some Mike, over I could name any number of other companies that aren't necessarily technology, so to speak, that, yeah. that don't need, to your point, banks or that yeah. are certainly financially secure and they haven't benefited much this week. Well, I mean, the money has gone to some of those names in part the same way it seemed sure. to come out as rates were Why rising. Why AMD up 18.5% this week? Because people are in love with the whole semi-story and the AI story. And it's actually something that you don't, it's, it's not dependent on what the Fed does next week, really. It's not dependent on recession in four months or eight months, uh, or at least people think it's not dependent on it, right? So I, I'm, I'm not arguing that lower rates and Fed policy are not part of the, the equation. They're just not the entire equation. And in fact, that could be the trap. Because if you think that Microsoft Getting back to 30 times earnings is safe because it's not affected by this stuff. It still doesn't mean you've got good forward returns coming out. No, that's true. Although we know Microsoft's move, as has been NVIDIA's, is in part related to what you just mentioned, which, of course, is enthusiasm over AI, in particular the introduction this week of chat GPT-4. I mean, we may be focused on this mini bank crisis, but when we look yeah. back in history and the end of history, really, as I see it potentially, it will it. be back to this week when they introduced chat GPT-4. On that note, I should mention that uh, Morgan Stanley did upgrade now to overweight NVIDIA as the large language model enthusiasm, they say, is, and this is the headline, transforming the cloud CapEx, they go on to say, there it is, generational AI, too much of a mega trend to get distracted by tactical concerns. Stock will continue to be hard to ignore in an otherwise challenging semiconductor environment. Been a good week for NVIDIA as well, Mike. It has. Um, you know, the, the Morgan Stanley upgrade is almost admittedly is just a little bit of a belated chase. Uh, they were tactically negative on it. They don't necessarily think there's a new catalyst. It's just kind of the opportunity being too big. You have to sort of, I guess, close your eyes and, uh, and just pay up for it is, is, uh, is the case right there. Uh, that's one of those instances where, again, uh, people go back to the familiar feeling of we want to own the secular story and we prefer not to have to worry about, uh, you know, industrial production and weekly jobless claims and all the rest of it. So there's sometimes an illusion of freedom uh, of just sort of b- believing in the big story and not having to worry about the, uh, the immediate. 
I was watching William Sonoma, another earnings mover. <laughs> I'd like to talk about something that's not the banks. Um, they came out. It's a tough category right now, right? We know that Americans aren't spending as much on their homes and on furniture, and yet it was a pretty strong showing from William Sonoma. If you look at the comps on their businesses, Pottery Barn was up. 5.8% on top of really tough, strong comps last year. Pottery Garden Kids was up. West Elm down 11% and Williams-Sonoma down 2%. But guidance for revenue came in a little bit better than Wall Street was expecting. And that's because in a declining category, and we heard the same thing from Signet in the jewelry category yesterday, this is a company, Williams-Sonoma, that feels confident that it is taking share. And that's, real, that's Mike, in a way, it's a big theme right now, right? When you're in these tough categories where the consumer is fickle and yeah. the macroeconomic is hard, if you can show that you are taking share and you are executing well, you know, on a, from a yeah. profitability standpoint, and they raise their dividend, Williams-Sonoma, then th that's how you can differentiate between the winners right. and losers. Right. Well, well managed um, sort of companies in, in retail that dominate a subcategory, I think, has been one of those uh, pretty good themes that you could you could lean on. Like you've talked about Ulta, you talk about Tractor Supply, uh, you talk about Dick Sporting Goods. I keep coming back to them because they are considered to be, okay, in a spot, they're well-managed, they have good comps, they can still, they're not so big they can't stop growing their store locations. So I do think it's, it's a little bit of a sheltered uh, story from, again, is the consumer getting fatigued and the whole overall picture of exactly what you have to worry about from the macro. You know, the worst performing sector of the week is not financials so far, it's energy. Because the yes. other thing happening in the backdrop to all of this, and this plays into the lower yields we're seeing, is not just the Fed rethink, but a rethink on the economy toward a harder landing and toward an inevitable recession. Right. And you saw that really take its toll on crude oil this week. WTI was 66 yesterday. We can take a look today. Um, but very low. Obviously, even with increased Chinese demand, story today in the journal about these very large tankers, obviously, and incredible demand for them. Uh, they can hold as much as 2 million barrels uh, in their hulls, but you can see it right there, 67.50, despite what has been an increase in demand yeah. from China. Well, it's been, it's been quite a tell that, that oil couldn't get out of its own way when for six months people have been talking about China reopening. Um, and it's not about, a, about the dollar and it's not about the exogenous stuff. The, the, the market is acting like there's plenty of oil out there. And maybe it was that the winter wasn't as bad as we expected and natural gas uh, got crushed. So, you know, we'll see. It's back to where it was two years ago. It's kind of interesting. It's had that round trip. Don't Sarah, you think it's part got, of the same? Uh, sorry, don't I, you think it's no. part of the same trade, though, where yeah. it's weak economy, right? Right. Decreased totally. demand for oil, lower yields, and strong tech stocks. I know. But Kathy, that, stocks that, do that well leads me. Weak. We haven't had our usual discussion about 25 or nothing. I mean, let's do never that. been more uncertainty, it would seem. And, you know, and talking to people, I mean, you're talking about a weak economy. You're talking about all these things. And yet we're still saying that the Fed's going to raise rates. Yes, because we still have an inflation problem. We have 6% inflation on the headline number. Core inflation is more than double of where the Fed wants it to be. What did we learn from Christine Lagarde of the ECB yesterday? You can raise interest rates to fight inflation, and you can try to safeguard the banking system. We'll see if it works, but that's what she's trying to do. All the so people, did she give cover to the Fed? In the head? Was, there, was I thought that helpful? it was already there. I thought it, the, the cover was I think the Bank of England gave cover last year when they bailed out the pension reformers and still raised rates, the pension you know, funds, and still raised rates to fight inflation. Anybody who says the Fed is going to pause, and again, this is just from a lot of research that I've read and studying the Fed, they're stuck in the 80s and 90s before the Fed had balance sheet tools. I mean, now it's all about 
balance sheet operations and endless acronyms for special facilities. It's what we saw the, the, the rabbit out of the hat last weekend for the emergency on Sunday, borrowing yeah. on, on SVB. And they have that tool and they can use that and they can use it at the same time as raising interest rates to fight inflation. That does not mean that we're going to see higher for longer. Because yeah. eventually, this is going to take its toll on the economy. But David Zervos of Jeffries put out a great note on this this morning, which is, how could you not expect the Fed to raise when all when they're data dependent and the economic data has shown that the economy still looks good and the inflation is still high? And the good thing um, is it doesn't I'm matter. A lot of hate mail the that. good thing is it doesn't matter. A quarter point at this point, I, unless except for the signaling effect, it doesn't matter that much economically, right? It's still the right thing to do. They, they'd love to be able to do it because that would mean they're not in the heat of a crisis at that very moment. Um, and why not? You can do it and you can speak dovishly or you can do it and you can say we're open to however the data break from here. Um, but I also don't think if they pause, it's a tragedy. The only reason it is is because they've backed themselves into a corner by saying we don't want to pause and restart hikes. Like, why does that even matter? Do you want to talk about 80s and 90s? They were stop start all the time, right. not in a bad way, just in a in a flexible way. But it was also a time where they only had interest rates. That was a tool. Well, look, they had a balance sheet. It was $800 billion dollars before the financial crisis. crisis. No, know, it was $800 billion before the minute know, before the financial they just, crisis. They weren't using it to the same extent. No, they weren't actively they using weren't it as, as much. They had a discount window from day one in 1913. Um, I love arguing with him. I know. Before, let's just hit (laughs) the... Nobody ever does. Let's just hit the the banks because we haven't actually discussed them, which has been nice for the first uh, (laughs) 10 minutes of being open. But they are lower. Certainly First Republic down another 22.5%. This after yesterday's gyrations had been even lower than this on that stock price, then moved up appreciably on our story and others about that $30 billion deposit plan that did come to fruition later in the day. But you can see many of them there. Uh, We also got the bankruptcy filing from SVB. Uh, I should point out, by the way, when it does come to Silicon Valley Bank, uh, Silicon Valley Bank Financial Group uh, intends to use the court-supervised process to evaluate strategic alternatives for SVB Capital, SVB Securities, the company's other assets and investments. They also say that they have attracted significant interest uh, that uh, in part being led by uh, Centerview Partners in terms of that restructuring. So it doesn't mean that assets will not be sold from here. They will now, of course, especially because they have gone into bankruptcy. The point I was making earlier was obviously no bank wanted to step up given the marks that would have had have been taken um, and what they viewed the franchise value not being equal to that on their balance sheet. Sarah. One thing we're seeing is some differentiation in the regional bank stocks performance. Yes. If you look at the week to date returns, First Republic is at the very bottom, down 67%. But you know what? Schwab is down 4%. And the CEO came on in the middle of the week with me, Walt Bettinger, very plain spoken about some of the misunderstandings he thinks are in that stock. Said he's buying stock, offered a vote of confidence. So, so you're starting to see, you know, Key Corp is at the bottom of the list. They also came on this week. Yes. They were very reassuring. So I guess Wall Street is just looking at at some of this duration risk on their balance sheet. Yeah, and not necessarily deposit flight. Certainly nothing like we saw late last week. For more on the markets, Art Cashin, UBS Director of Floor Operation, joins us on the CNBC Newsline. Always good to to talk to you on a Friday, Art. How how are you feeling about the bank crisis and, and potential for more pain? Well, I, I, I think first let me say that the viewers want to be very, very careful. Uh, a Friday like this is a rumor monger's delight, and we are on the edge of what we were doing back when uh, Lehman got in trouble. You may recall they were buying 
the credit default swaps, and they were buying uh, out-of-the-money options, uh, out-of-the-money puts, and then compounding it by spreading the word on, on Twitter and elsewhere that, did you see that? Somebody just bought a put 20% below the current price. So the viewers have to be very, very careful about what's going on. Now, what happened uh, over this last week uh, came as a shock to uh, uh, the Fed and everybody else. And the reason that they implicitly had to guarantee was that we were actually on the verge of a rerun of the panic of 1907, the actual panic that caused the Fed to be established. And I believe that there are folks running around, I would love to see what the credit default swaps are doing, um, running around and getting a list of the banks and seeing who has the largest percentage of uninsured deposits. And then kind of bringing that to everybody's attention to see if you can tip over the bank. So that's the kind of backdrop that you've got here. And that's why you're not um, necessarily seeing people look directly at the economic news. Uh, it, it, this is fully captivating. You know, we had all these people uh, a week ago uh, were running around with the word idiosyncratic like it was a new baby toy and assuring us that there was nothing systemic about it. It is systemic. The Fed has forced many of these banks to reconfigure their portfolios. So as Sarah alluded to, they are having duration risk. And and that's been around before. You guys should um, call up or interview Chris Whalen. He, he wrote back in February 27th that uh, the, the Fed was forcing people into duration risk, and he singled out SVB. And uh, sure enough, it all came down. So this is not unknown. And then finally, you know, everybody's talking about new regulation. Uh, I think this is a failure of supervision rather than regulation. I think you know, the bulk of the regulation, regulation is there. And, you know, where were the people who noticed that they didn't have a risk officer at SVB? Uh, where were the bank examiners to notice that the duration of the portfolio uh, was misaligned? So today's a good day to be careful. Friday before a weekend, financial rumors around. Um, so you, 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 the viewers have to be careful to avoid rumor mongers. It, Art, uh, just quickly, what's your read on how the overall market has been able to actually stand up to a lot of these concerns this week and at least kind of hang in there in the middle of this range? Well, it, it has been impressive, but you know what I've noticed is that, uh, you know, we, we've zigzagged two extremes. So the market goes from uh, oversold, uh, which then allows for quick bounces and that stabilizes everything to uh, almost overboard uh, with that reaction. So uh, that's why you're getting this kind of volatility here. And and again, the, the, relative to those regional banks, I think the game is afoot. I think there are people, I wouldn't say purposely spreading rumors, but trying to agitate things as much as possible, possibly for their own uh, good with uh, credit default swaps and out of the money thing. But, Yes, it's it's been range bound, and that's uh, that is impressive. 
But uh, I think I'm going to wait for a couple of weeks to see if that holds up. Thank you, Art. We appreciate the, uh, the analysis and perspective as always. Happy St. Patrick's Day. We know you're celebrating. Top of the morning to you. Top of the morning <laughs> to you, Lassie. Thank you. There you go. Art Cashin. A um, lot, of, lot of Irish folks here at the New York Stock <laughs> Yes, there are. Money. Yes. And Stocks for Art, it's a Friday and St. Patrick's Day. Well, he says Day. it's be careful because of the rumor mark. It's always going to be careful on St. Patrick's Day, no matter what's going on in the banking system. Well, also just be careful when you walk around the streets, yeah, too. Yeah, exactly. A lot of people with their heads in the gutter, so to speak. I don't want to get into any details, but you know, after the St. Patrick's Day parade, it's kind of ugly up there. All right, before we head to break, it's time for a bond report. Let's take a look at how treasuries are faring this morning. There they are. To your note, think about where we were just, well, where were we, Sarah, about one week 5%. ago? Yeah, so 100 basis points has been the decrease. We gotta go. There it is, a look at the week's top performers on the S&P. We mentioned Vance Micro right at the top there. That aluminum move, man, on Carl Icahn was pretty interesting to see. Of course, remember Icon is seeking some uh, some board seats there. And then Microsoft and NVIDIA, as Mike was talking about earlier, added more market cap than has been lost. Just don't the- call it a rate move. He doesn't agree with that. We're going to have more of this ongoing interesting argument between Mike and Sarah when we come back. Uh, welcome back. The NYC FANG Plus Index is up 10%. That's week to date. It is on pace for what would be its best week in a year. This, of course, as we've been discussing, investors have turned to large technology stocks, perhaps as a safe haven in this, uh, I still call it a mini banking crisis, at least for now. Joining us is Jeffrey's Brent Phil to discuss that. NASDAQ 100, Brent's up, I believe, uh, outperformed the S&P for 11 straight days through yesterday's close. What do we make of that? Hey, David, uh, it's just a flight to big balance sheet strength. Uh, tech obviously had a terrible year last year, and I think we're seeing a rotation uh, back because multiples are down. As you said, uh, I'm marketing in Europe, seeing clients in London and Paris, and uh, every client is concerned about what's happening in the financial sector. So I think you're also seeing the sector rotation from industrial cyclicals and, and banking back to tech. Um, Ultimately, I think we're a little concerned about the magnitude of the move because fundamentals still have not improved. And we we're, we're certainly could see a, another downtick as it relates to the fundamental demand environment for tax. So I think this is more of a sector reallocation than any uh, real uh, hope of a, of a big acceleration in, uh, in, in tech demand. Uh, there's definitely some AI uh, excitement, too, around what's happening with, with Microsoft and NVIDIA. Sure. Uh, But to the extent that multiples are now going up, are they not going to be justified by the earnings that follow? I think that's the risk is that we've had a huge move. And uh, right now we've continued to see companies not have a great top line. Uh, What we're seeing is uh, the conviction on the bottom line. So as long as the tech continues to control the the bottom line expense, even if the top line was a little weak, I think that investors are going to give them a hall pass. And we've seen that with Meta. We've seen it with uh, Microsoft, we've seen with a number of companies that have had strong cost control, even if the top line's not great, investors are, are, are giving them a whole pass and these stocks continue to, to work higher on uh, stronger expense controls. Um, so I think, you know, the back half of the year is still uh, a real big open question in terms of demand. 
at, at this point. But I, I don't think from what we can see and from a lot of the tech companies we talk to that demand is, is falling off. It just isn't inflecting. And then we have to take into account what's going to happen with the banking sector and then some of these small startups in tech, ultimately their consumption of, of, of technologies. This going to create a headwind for demand in the next uh, three to six months, given there's some distractions that are going on in those respective subsectors. That's something else that, that we're keeping an eye on. Yeah, I mean, there's one uh, line of thought, uh, Brent, in addition to everything you've said there in terms of what's driving these flows, that also, you know, a lot of the big tech stocks kind of took their medicine in terms of the earnings estimate declines last year. Maybe there's not as much vulnerability. That gets to your cost-cutting and bottom-line discipline aspect. What about Amazon? It seems to be the outlier in terms of how it's been straight down. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have that real valuation support. Uh, wh where does it leave it in terms of looking for a catalyst or, or how, in fact, investors should approach it here? Yeah, the, the two biggest questions on Amazon is when is AWS going to bottom in growth? And, and hopefully that happens in the next couple quarters. That's their cash cow. Uh, that's the number one topic. And then number two is when do they get the retail costs uh, aligned with demand? And they're still, you can see it in all the actions, the, re, you know, pulling back in the second headquarter build out. Uh, friends of, of, of ours that have warehouses, you're seeing a, uh, Amazon abandon some warehouses and continue to pay rent because they have lease costs. You know, you're, you're, they're trying to unwind uh, this expensive uh, network that they built up in the pandemic. And, and so I think those are the two big areas that we, we hear. I think coming out of this, they're going to be in a good good position. There's no question. Jassy, uh, again, a software guy cares about high margin businesses. I think ultimately they're getting a better control on their, their bottom line. And uh, ultimately, AWS, from the cloud perspective, is going to emerge out of this as they the, still the best position company in across the, the cloud provider. So we're still bullish long-term, but think t tactically short-term, there's still some some challenges as it relates to employees and what they're doing in their supply chain costs. It's, it's still, uh, it's gonna take some time yeah. for them to get full um, control over those expenses. Hey, Brent, real quick, anything you picked up, you said you were marketing, I think in Europe, I mean, any sort of difference over between investors' concerns over there and here? Uh, David, investors are underweight tech pretty massively. One of the questions I've asked in the last few days seeing clients is, are you overweight or underweight tech? And they're all underweight tech. And that also explains the move in tech, which is every investor in the institutional market, we don't talk to retail investors, they're institutions, they are uh, underweight tech. And that is another driver that's helping uh, the recovery, which is we're just doing a portfolio reallocation uh, so it's not necessarily fundamentals inflecting. It's just a reallocation of dollars from other sectors. That, that's a big theme we're hearing. All right. Uh, Brent, thank you. Appreciate it. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to The Opening Bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu.